Hello, listeners. Thanks for tuning in to IPA Sessions. Today's episode is for all audiences, where I sit down and have a discussion with my friend Darren, and he's going to take us through his process of how to make a short film. So tune in and enjoy. Welcome to IPA Sessions. Welcome to IPA Sessions, a podcast for independent artists. This is a place where I like to try and provide inspirations for practical applications in the entertainment medium. As always, we try and focus on something fun, something new, something different as independent artists that we get to meet. And today, one of my friends, a really fun, awesome guy, a super independent artist, is Darren Monell. And he's going to be talking to us today about making short films and his process. So Darren, say hi to everyone. Hi, everyone. I, I figure, I mean... You, you must have like an enormous, you know, audience It all encompassingly, I guess, is the, the way to put it. You know, this show is just starting out, so we're building it as we go. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think we are part of that audience right now. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's it's a process. Uh, I hope to one day do a fun little bit too, maybe something fun and bonus. Just talk about my process, how I do this show and what I, and all that good stuff. But today I'm going to focus on you. I want to have fun talking about you and your short films. But before we get there, tell us a little bit about yourself, Darren. What do you do? Well, I mean, you know, I, I just like to use the general term filmmaker i've done a little bit of everything so it's like i usually just like to describe myself as someone who's on the creative side which usually would typically consist of producing acting directing writing uh basically whatever the project needs to make the project possible so i i've always tried to expand as much as i could and and understand things uh, as much as i could i've found that there's certain things i understand a lot better than others yeah but you know it's it's a non-stop learning process and sometimes you you know you can get really lucky and you can uh you know pick up like for example i was learning how to do grip work last weekend which was really fascinating to say the least fascinating as and i have no interest in further uh doing it (laughs) but um you know, I think that it's always good to know that kind of stuff. And I think especially if you're going to be a producer or you're going to be just someone who does a little bit of everything and makes their own content, it's really important to be familiar with all the aspects of filmmaking. Just so you know, it's it's been helpful for me in the past. I, I was shooting a trailer and, you know, we had hired some inexperienced people to be grips and electrics. And I could tell they were inexperienced just because I knew enough about their department uh, to be able to do that. And that's very helpful. Uh, and make sure you're not rehiring people that may not know what they're doing. So you literally got to kind of be a jack of all trades when it comes to making your, as a filmmaker, you're not just a director, you're all parts. You're the producer, the actor, the director, the editor, all that stuff. I take it. I'm a lot of things. Yeah. And you know, I try, I'll never credit myself in the credits with everything I do do. Probably, I don't think I'd even credit myself with about half of what I, I do. I, I take this approach, and sometimes it's wise and sometimes it's unwise, depending on how you look at it, <laughs> of can you do it faster than you can explain it to someone to go do it? And if the answer is yes, and the answer often is yes, then I just do it. Just do it. You know, it's funny that you say that. It's been this reoccurring theme since I've been uh, doing these episodes with people is that uh, everyone at some point just says, you just you just do it. Just do it. And I, I love hearing that. So we know that you're a filmmaker and that you've done a short film, but you said that you do other things. What are some other stuff that you've done lately? I mean, well, I, I have a nine to five sh- job on a, a network TV show. Um, I usually don't like to share what it is because it's like, just a job. Yeah, we all have our jobs. Yeah, I mean, usually where I'm kind of like stuck right now is as far as just, you know, making a short film. I mean, I have a feature that 
I'm sitting here working on and we're kind of just, you know, waiting for things to go through, which is another way of saying, you know, nothing's happening. And then we have another situation where it's like, I I just, you know, I I have an interest in other things, obviously, you know, like I'm really into sports and I'm, you know, I just had a, I have a three month old. He's actually turned three months today. Wow. Congratulations. A new dad. Oh, thank you very much. You know, I'm not your typical artistic nerd, if you will. Like, I mean, I, I grew up, you know, mostly playing sports, but I love movies. That's kind of how I really got into this. Um, you know, there's a massive influence that came through in the 80s and the 90s. And then uh, I just really got into it. And I said, you know, if I can't play sports, I might as well do this because I love it. Like, I, I love the feeling of entertaining people. Uh, I love the feeling of people interpreting my art. Uh, I don't feel the need to project upon you what I'm trying to teach you or what I'm trying to express to you. I think it's far more interesting for you to respond to me as opposed to me to tell you what I think you should be seeing. I like that. I like that a lot. It, it, well, I mean, let's not pretend as filmmakers, we know 100% what we're doing at all times. Cause that's not true. I feel like you can have a lot of command over your product without being a hundred percent on point all the time, you know? And, and uh, there's all sorts of stuff. Like I, I'm going to try to like, wait till you get to more pointed questions, but you know, I could diatribe on a whole lot of things here. I just want to make sure, you know, for you and for your audience that we're just sticking with one thing at a time here so they can kind of compartmentalize what we're saying. Yeah. And, and I just want the audience to get to know you a little bit. And I know on top of all this stuff that you do, on top of being a new dad, on top of being a filmmaker, on top of having to work your nine to five, uh, you also host from time to time on your own podcast. Is that correct? Yeah. It's a, a group podcast um, with uh, Kevin Donald and uh, Christopher has now been kind of added as a permanent. It's called The Real Short Box. Um, nice. For those of you that are comic book collectors, a short box is basically a box that fits roughly 100 comic books. And uh, we go over all sorts of things that are either comic related, pop culture related, or just uh, information you need to know about if you'd like to trade or sell your comics, uh, what you can expect, what kind of values. We, I mean, we even do things such as, you know, the equivalent of a, it's like buying a stock. Uh, oh, nice. You buy a stock in hopes that it'll rise in the future. And we will even give you a heads up on a number of comic books that you could buy that will only go up in value. Uh, I always use an example One of my co-host, uh, Donald. He bought five issues of the first appearance of Miles Morales as Spider-Man, and he bought them for $10 each. And he has sold none of them for less than a thousand. Wow. Should I, should I be interviewing him about how to be an independent artist when it comes to comics? Like, uh, dang. <laughs> <laughs> well, he actually does have a... Um, he does have a web series that he does about the blue beetle who is, you know, going to become uh, a more uh, active character in the uh, uh, DC universe. He's basically the blue beetle was created by Steve Ditko, who of course is famous for creating Spider-Man and nice. uh, Steve Ditko, when he got fired by Marvel decided to create a character very similar to Spider-Man. So he, he's rich kind of like Batman, but he's a complete smart Alec. And that was kind of to get back at Marvel. Uh, but it, the Blue <laughs> Beetle became a very humorous character. And yeah, it, it, I think there's going to be more things coming in, but he basically there's one character of the Blue Beetle named Ted Cord that had uh, been killed off in the comic series. And it really bothered him as, as a reader. So he decided to do a web series about the return and the uh, resurrection, if you will, of Ted Cord, just to kind of stick a stick a middle finger up to DC. And it's it's rather amusing because you like to in- interview filmmakers. 
um, he has three seasons of this webisode series, so he's been able to consistently keep content up. So, yeah, it's just fascinating. It's fun guy to work we with. We got to get him on. That sounds fun. And, I mean, it, it definitely sounds like a – yeah, it sounds really fun. And also we should uh, get some folks on there. Let's let's have him – let's talk to him. <laughs> so let's get to what we're here for today. You have a new short film that you just put out in some festivals. Uh, kind of just talk to us about it. What's the name of this short? Uh, how can people go and see it? And what's happening with it right now? Well, first and foremost, the nice thing about being the person that essentially owns everything with it, I, I can kind of freely speak about all sorts of things, some things that maybe I shouldn't talk about, you know, I'm, uh, maybe some trade secrets that uh, would be given away. Whatever you feel comfortable with. Yeah, but I, I also need to be respectful of everyone who's kind of helped, you know, make everything work out. So. Uh, this uh, particular short film is called Dying for a Living. It essentially, to talk about how it got started, uh, a couple of my uh, co-workers that I work with were out with me after lunch, after we had a very you know difficult season uh, working on our show, and they wanted to shoot something. And I know this sounds crazy, but this is fully accurate. This is how things actually can come together. Like, hey, we want to shoot something. I said, you know what, guys? I do have a short film. I wrote it many, many years ago, and it has two male leads in it. And I think that the dynamic between the two of you, you know, let's let's shoot something. But I just want you to be aware that when you tell me you want to shoot something, these things come together very quickly. And if you, for any reason, just take a moment to really think about this. If you, for any reason, change your mind, it is okay. I'm not going to be upset with you. But... If we drag this on and, and we don't get everything we need out of it, that will make me upset. <laughs> so, like, let's make sure that we go through with this all the way. No wasted time. <laughs> right. So initially, uh, the way that this got started, I, I can go back to 2009 when I originally wrote this. Um, yeah, take us through your process. There was a French, basically a, a French short film that I had seen that had a kind of a cool idea. And I'm not going to share what it is because, it, you know, it'll give away exactly what the movie is. But like it, it had a pretty cool idea. And I thought, you know, there's this one idea that they had come up with. I think we could completely retool it and make it look, you know, way more presentable for, you know, a, a more wide based audience. Uh, so I had written this and I had hired at the time a director who was a very accomplished director in the uh, short or sorry, not short, rather in the um low budget feature horror world. Uh, his name is Randy Kent. Uh, he's a really nice gentleman. And I had hired a DP and I had hired a very close friend of theirs to, uh, you know, be one of the actors. And I was going to act opposite of them. Well, about 10 days before we started shooting, that actor had reached out to me and said, you know what? I, I don't think I want to do this anymore. I just don't understand this character. I don't understand this story. And I said, well, why don't we sit down and talk about it? He's like, no, if, if it's not going to speak to me off the page, then I just, I, I can't do it. I said, okay, so be it. Fast forward another year, I had was going to shoot this actually up in the Bay Area in uh, a different setting because I just need a setting. For those of you who are listening and you're not aware of the Bay Area, we are currently in the state of California, so he's referring to San Francisco. I uh, just yeah. want to let my, my fellow listener out there, that's what we're talking about. Oh, thank you. So when we went up to do that, I just, you know, for lack of a better term to, to kind of like streamline the time of this, I, I had a lot of creative differences with one of the actors. And in my view, they, they were just wrong. And in their view, I was wrong. So so be it whatever the case may be. So 
I told these guys, uh, Jed and Chris, like, look, this is what we're going to do. It's going to come together fast. This was at the end of May. I had already scheduled two overnight shoots by the end of June. So they had four weeks to get ready. And as I had warned them. <laughs> That's uh, mighty, mighty quick. So I telephoned my, uh, my sound tech, Tim, who always not only does my live sound, but he also does my sound mix which is incredibly helpful because when we're filming on set, he knows exactly if the sound is salvageable or if it's a disaster, you know, and we, and that saves us a strew of time. Yeah. You know each other, you know what you need. That's good. A sound sound guy is good. <laughs> but he, he just, you know, he's way more than that. Like he's like a, 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 most people that I work with become my friend. That's not normal in the business. Usually they just become contacts, but they usually become my friend. So like Tim and I can have conversations that go way beyond work. And then I had originally called up a friend of mine to be a DP and he was out of town uh, doing something. And I had called somebody that I, I had worked with in the past as a color correctionist who does, you know, basically for those of you who don't know, when you're in post-production and you're editing, uh, you can actually tweak the colors of your shots and your pictures to look a little more, you know, you could either, you could completely change them and have your own like kind of style if you want, or you can just enhance certain things or depress certain things, depending on what it is you would like to do. So I had asked him if he wanted to be a DP and his response was fascinating. He said, absolutely, because he had found a job where he had was doing very well financially that had nothing to do with the film business. And he wanted to get back into it as soon as possible. So... My telephone call to him prompted him to do that. And then I hired a makeup artist through a friend, and that's our whole film crew. Wow, that's impressive. What is that? You list all six people, I think? Six? I listed three. We have sound, makeup, and hair. And then our cinematographer is also our key grip, is also our master electrician, also our color correctionist, and also the finishing editor. Wow. Well, and the two actors, too. Well, well they're not crew. They're cast. So we, okay. we actually, we're very fair to our cast. We only have them do cast duties. <laughs> we, we actually had five cast members. Oh, okay. One of which, one of which was the owner of the location. Who's a very, very old friend of mine that I've co-produced with in the past. And he actually owned the location, which has, you know, you've seen the film. The location has a lot of personality. It does. And that's exactly why we chose it. I liked it because it honestly, it felt like it looked to me like an actual set. I thought you just done something within your home or on a stage possibly. That's how, how unique it was. Like it felt like a legit set. So that, and I mean, it is of course a set. You're just setting on a location, but yeah. Oh, thank you. Well, what I can also too add is in post-production, we did have one additional crew member. And that of course was our composer, uh, Oliver Goodwill, he, who I met many years ago. Uh, I've hired for every single one of my projects. He is currently a uh, citizen of the nation of England, but he um, he had lived here for many years and he was a employee of Harry Gregson Williams and Hans Zimmer, wow. uh, obviously oh. two very popular composers. Drop that resume. <laughs> yeah. So whenever <laughs> he's picked up a thing or two. <laughs> yeah. No, his versatility is just stunning. And what I love about him is, He's been an actor before, and he actually really enjoys acting. He has a great film IQ, so like I don't need to give him a lot of notes. He kind of knows where things need to go. And when he had asked me what type of music I wanted, I said, uh, well, you know, just 
do your thing. Like you get it 95% right. And he's like, no, come on, give me a little guidance here. And I said, all right, I want you to think of a composer by the name of Lenny Nihas. And I want you to think of his uh, composition for Mystic River. Now, Lenny Nihas has scored a lot of Clint Eastwood films. A lot of my favorite ones. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and he has a very minimalist style to him. And I, I wanted to make sure that he'll have like a piece of a score that'll just catch in your head. And it's not necessarily super creative. It's 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 beyond simplistic, actually. But, it's, it's, but also, it's amazing at the same time. So that's kind of what we went for there. And... Yeah, I mean, that's that's basically dying for a living in a nutshell. We shot two overnights in, in the dark uh, with, with a short group. Well, my favorite thing is one of the cast members, I had went up to him and said, hey, we're going to start filming at uh, 9 p.m. And he's like, when you told me that, and I looked at my watch and I saw it was 8, like, we're not, you, you're not going to be shooting until like midnight. Like, I'm looking at your DP. He's literally sitting over there playing like Minesweeper on his phone. Like this guy is like, really? You're going to be shooting then? 901. I'm like, okay, are we ready to rehearse? And he couldn't believe it. And he he had looked at him and he had said, this is the first guy I've ever worked with in this industry that I think gets the future of this industry. Now, my director of photography, Michael, is, is, a, is a, a wonderfully nice person and he's a phenomenally talented person. He has an engineering background. So the way he approaches things is completely a hundred percent different than most filmmakers do. A lot of filmmakers show up on the day. They might scout a location in advance if it's a short film, but they just show up. They look at a bunch of things and they take some guesses. That's not how we work. We did internal measurements of the entire location. And we had like a 3d mapping device that we injected everything into. And we were able to create a full animation of the exact camera height, the exact lens size, and the exact blocking, and the exact light and grip placement of all of our equipment into this single animation. And we just would do one shot at a time. We'd adjust the camera to its height. We would change the lens. And we actually took some screenshots recently as we've shot the sequel, where we will have the cast standing on their marks. We will have the viewfinder, where you can see where they are, and the animation also in the shot, and they 100% match each other. That is something super handy to have, for, especially for doing a project like yours so quickly. Wow, that's I love the sound of that. So on our set, nobody yells. Nobody gets stressed because we have everything properly prepared. We know everything we have to do. Well, and yeah, and, and I believe you – I believe that you – you know, set that tone as well. You set the pace. You're the you're the leader. You're the you're the the filmmaker. You're the one who's trying to get it all together. And you help set that tone and you help set the example as well. And then you have these people that you've worked with. It sounds like to me, through many years of experience, that you know that you can trust right away and that understand how to read you. You can tell them, I'm looking for this. And they go, okay. And they know what you're looking for. You get the ball rolling and they see it coming and they're right there with you. They're helping you push that snowball up the hill, so to speak. Any problems you run into, you guys have a way of already getting ahead of it. You're like, oh, this is about to happen. Okay, I'll take care of it. That sounds really, really good to have, especially in your back pocket when you're trying to make a film of any kind with any group. Uh, it's good to, to know these people, to have the experience, which I'm sure you've had to learn over time working with many different people. And you find the ones you like the most that you work well with. Thank you for taking us through that process. Thank you for letting us know, you know, kind of what you do. I want to get a little bit into uh, access to your equipment. How, how does that go for you? How do you access? Is it because of these people you know? Do they bring their own to the? Uh, do they bring their own equipment to work with you? 
or do you guys rent out? Can you take us through a little bit of that? Yeah, I, I think the way at least how we go through our process is I usually would recommend hiring sound people with their own gear, which is what we do. Tim is fully capable of not only boom recording, but he does all of his own. He, he also has lavaliers, uh, wireless microphones, and he mixes everything while he's he's doing. So he actually functions as two people. Now, it's ideal to have a separate mixer and, you know, someone who's recording, uh, boom. But at the same time, too, like, it's not necessary depending on what you're doing. Um, we don't really do, like, stuff we do can seem very complex on the screen. But the actual process of the filmmaking, it's not very complex for these crew. Like, they, they can do all this stuff in their sleep. So in his situation, also because he has a lot of contacts, so to speak, in the sound world, like, he can get access to certain things like ComTechs, which are, you know, uh, headsets when you're watching the video screen, you know, and you're trying to pick. Yeah, you're, you're hearing the live feedback. Yeah. Or yeah, excuse me, the live playback. It's not necessary for this, you know. So I trust him when he says sound is clean. And he, because Tim is an artist as well. Like he, he understands. Yeah. And it sounds like it's more of a, you take a leap in faith because you're, you're doing this independent style anyway, and you need to get it done. And again, you stated that this is someone you've worked with that, you know, their experience and they understand you and what you want. That's, that's really good to have, especially if you're working on a set with no context, no way to hear it. You got to put faith in the audio equipment and your actors. I like that. Yeah. Now, as far as the DP goes, I mean, he comes with an unusual amount of equipment. He has all of his own C-stands and flags. He has lights. He has camera. He has lens kit. DP slash electric grip. <laughs> yeah. But also, too, in, in fairness, for this latest installment that we're shooting, he had to actually rent a camera. We had to rent additional grip gear because it was a little more complex. What, what happens is, is like you can do it one of two ways. You can get the insurance policy, which I personally don't recommend if you don't have the money to get it. Yeah. I, I de- you're a location guy, so you understand this. I, I know you want to do things by the book. We, we can't afford to do that. Yeah, I want to learn the process of how they do it Hollywood style and then what I can take to apply for myself for people like you when I get into my own projects. Yes. It's, right. it's good no, to I know what that. I can legally work within, <laughs> quote unquote. <laughs> yeah, that that's a, a whole different thing. You should make sure you're getting a location that you have unlimited access to that nobody's going to be looking over your shoulder. And that's tough. Like, it's not easy, but it can be done as we've proven. Mm-hmm. What I would suggest is, you know, when you're, when we rented all that additional stuff, you could either get an, ins- go through an insurance policy, you know, which is thousands of dollars for two to four days of shooting, which is, is in our view, a waste of money. Cause ultimately we're here to make money. But what you can also do is we, we recommend if possible, uh, either calling up friends who have the gear or going through sharegrid.com, which sharegrid is essentially, there's a lot of folks that own their own equipment and it just sits and collects dust, basically. Now you don't need an insurance policy. You will have to pay extra fees, but they're not terribly high. You can then go through sharegrid and do a search of, for example, we used a Sony camera. We found somebody who had a price that we liked and had all the accoutrement, if you will, made us happy okay. to, to rent from them. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, I, I think the prices are pretty reasonable because the people renting them out don't, you know, they're not making money on them anyway. So they might as well. Uh, one other 
avenue you can go through. I don't know if they're still around. Uh, in Century City, there's a company called Film Independent. And if you get their membership, it's like it used to be about $100 a year. And you have the ability to rent any of their gear without an insurance policy. Okay, that's really good. I want to go back just a little bit. Uh, how long in total did this take you to actually uh, film? Did you say it was it more than the two days that you said, or was it just those two days? The original uh, took two nights. We shot seventeen pages in two nights. You know, I usually don't like to shoot that much. Uh, and so, so two nights to film everything, and then about how long did you spend with the editing and finalizing everything? So the that took a long time. That took about four to five months. But it had. It's not because the project was complex. It's because we had gone back to work and. You know, we work on a very ambitious uh, television program and we barely get weekends. <laughs> yeah. Well, we have a lot of uh, we just have a lot of uh, schedule controversies. So realistically, if we went at this full time, we could probably turn turn it around in six to eight weeks. But in wow, this case, okay. it took about five months. So what happened was, is I had never edited anything of substantial length. You know, I edited a 45 minute. Uh, what do you call that? Uh uh, I was like, it wasn't a short, it, I can't remember the category, when I was in college. But I was also editing with Windows Movie Maker, which is incredibly simple. Okay. Yeah, I remember I this. edited this with, <laughs> uh, with Avid Media Composer, which is the exact opposite of simple. Uh, Avid has a completely different language from every other editing software. I, you know, I, my wife had, you know, used it a lot in college. So she was, you know, helpful doing that. But I just, I wanted to edit it myself because I wanted to establish my art, you know, writing and directing. I wanted to make yeah. sure that my style was being utilized the way that I wanted it to be utilized. The film reflects you. Yeah. And, you know, there's, like I said, I wanted to make sure that, you know, my influences like John Carpenter and Stanley Kubrick and people of that nature, like I wanted to make sure that I was getting all that stuff on the screen, yeah, so to speak. You know, and the best way I could do that is by editing it myself and then going to Michael, the DP, to help him do finishing editing. So like finish editing is a very different style of editing. You know, he, he just he's able to color his own footage, which was like a big sell, sale point for him. Yeah. So what happens is, is like Michael is basically my finishing editor. And, you know, we're not really like specific about giving each other too many credentials on this. So sometimes I can c completely overlook, you know, certain contributions uh, that can be made in terms of giving actual credit. But I'm absolutely fine, like admitting that when it comes to like doing credits, for example, I, I, I can't do it. It's not my thing. He's such an intelligent person. We actually had to wash and tumble dry footage, as I like to say, through multiple editing softwares just because like because of his how his brain operates he can solve unbelievably complex problems with software so when we were finishing editing he was actually cleaning up the rhythm he really didn't cut things out he just was cleaning up the rhythm of them because he, he you know because he edits that's kind of his thing he knows how to yeah. do that stuff. i need him for the podcast <laughs> Yeah, for me. I need them for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, he helped create the opening credits, the closing credits. Um, as far as like sound mixing, that's Tim. That's a whole different kind of thing. But okay. we, you know, he's incredibly valuable to this process because he understands how to do those things. And we actually, despite me editing it in Avid, we exported it in DaVinci Resolve, um, which is a very nice 
editing software that used to be just a color correction software, but it has become an outstanding editing software over time. And Michael is an absolute wizard in that program. So we were able to do some pretty cool things. Hey everyone, hope you've enjoyed the conversation so far. Just taking a quick break here to play an audio clip from the short film Dying for a Living, courtesy of Darren. Fair warning, there is a little bit of strong language in this audio clip, but I want to give you guys a little taste of what Darren has to offer with his short film. Enjoy the clip. What are you doing? Texting the owner. Our night is finished. What the fuck is wrong with you? You have any idea who I am? Sorry. But we need to talk about this. What's there to talk about? You think you're the first guy who ever wanted to do this? But you don't understand what I'm going through. You don't know what it's like. Wait a minute. You're personalizing everything. This has deep meaning to you, the individual. Am I right? Yeah. I'm not personalizing anything. This is a job for me. Do you have any idea how many people have died by my hand? Just, just give me the package. I don't need to die by your hand. I'll do it myself. I'm not going to give you the package. I look like a moron? No. You're not ready. Good night. Here's the money for the package. Not selling. No, what if I gave you this money just to listen? Just to talk. If you don't want to sell, you still keep the money. Goosebumps. You can see it on Facebook Watch or follow the links on social media to YouTube and help support Darren and his crew with their short film, Dying for a Living. Now, back to the conversation. Well, take me through this last little bit. So once you've gone through the process of having this idea and then pushing forward with it, filming it, editing it, finalizing it, how do you put it out there? Because currently your your short film is actually in a film festival, correct? Or a film short film prize? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I've been told by all of my uh, propagandists, as I like to say, uh, <laughs> we have 1.2 million views on Facebook Watch as well. That's incredible. Wow. You know, we also, we, we have played currently in one actual film festival. Uh, we've also played in an online film festival. And we've been accepted into six additional film festivals that will not be doing screenings until the fall. Uh, as far as awards, we have won an award for best cinematography. Uh, we've won an award for best on-screen duo uh, between Chris and Jed. Hey, congratulations. Those guys are amazing, by the way. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and we've also won a best supporting actor award for Jed. 
uh, nice. which I thought was interesting to refer to him as a supporting actor. I, I feel like they're both, it's a co-acting thing. They're, they're both very active in this. <laughs> they really are. But um, so far we've, we've won three awards. I suspect we'll win a good amount more. I, you know, it's interesting, Jago, I, because, you know, I'm a big sports fan. I'm a very competitive person. <laughs> and when I sit, you don't say <laughs> I sat in our screening block. Uh, we had half a dozen shorts playing and we were playing in a primary. There was a, a, a great like foreign short documentary that the person who, who was, you know, the, the creative mind behind it, they were really active at the festival getting people around. And I, and I thanked him for selling out our screening block. So we actually did get to see it in a packed house. And that's of those films four out of six of them won awards um, at that festival. And we were not one of them. And, and I, and I had talked to people and, you know, me personally, I don't care if I win awards, but I think a lot of people do like to have themselves validated through awards. And I try to be as supportive as I can to make sure they get there. So I talked to the finance and marketing department. They said the only award we want to win is most viewed short film of 2022. And as long as we win that one, I don't really care. I feel like with over a million views, you're on track. (laughs) (laughs) But the cast, obviously, they can get a lot out of this when they're out auditioning. They can say, look, you know, we've won awards. You know, we're pretty good at what we do. I must say, though, I I definitely think when you make a short film, and this is something that your audience, if you're trying to be a future filmmaker, I would pay very close attention to this. If you don't like the story, if you don't like the characters, fine. Fine. That is absolutely your opinion. If you have bad picture, bad sound, bad music, that's not up for opinion. Make sure those three elements are very strong. And the other ones, you can just debate endlessly. It doesn't matter. That's why you have a three-man crew. (laughs) Yeah. When I sat and watched everybody's up there, I saw people who had short films with 35-person crews that had far inferior tech quality to us. I'm I'm just saying that like, I'm competitive. So when I see all those elements are up there and we know our art is solid, because trust me, if you have very strong sound, your actors, there's nothing distracting you from watching the acting. Right. Your strong picture, there's nothing distracting you. So you can absorb it. You're able to take more pride in your work too, because you see the amount of what quality and time you had to work with and seeing what others did as well especially if they had a little bit more of what feels like maybe an advantage. That's a good feeling inside to know that you're still on that level to keep up and have a good time and make your product. I want to ask you, so congratulations, by the way, again, for all the awards so far. And I know that it's still circulating out there as well. What did you do to get your film into a short festival? Like, what what, uh, Can you take me through some of the process of uh, how you submitted it and who you had to go through or what particular festival, anything like that? Can you take me through any of those? Um, I mean, I, I, I won't be able to give you a whole strip of information on this. What I do very, I very much like to do is I'm the leader of the ship, but I only step in when it's necessary. So okay. our actor took care of all the film festival submissions and had very specific things they were looking for. Now I'll share a few of those. Um, I just, I wish I could elaborate on them further. That's okay. You can just give us some of the basics. Uh, just so, just because anyone that's out there wanting to do what you do, like they, they made a short, well, how do they, how do they submit it? Who can they, what film festival could they look up? Is there a company, you know, like how do you go to Sundance? Things like that. That's just what you did, what you guys did. Yeah. The simplest way I could put it, um, I would go to film freeway, okay. which it basically 
they're attached to 30, 40 film festivals locally. And you can you can read up on those. I know Jed was very specific about IMDb accredited film festivals. I, there are some festivals out there in the world like Tribeca and Sundance yeah. that there's a good and a bad to it. In, in our estimation, more bad than good. <laughs> and the, the bad that we found was you cannot debut your film anywhere but their festival, or you're disqualified. Now, to us, being that we were aggressively going to digitally market our film, that was not realistic. I'm not going to wait for the possibility we get accepted into this film festival in the fall before we can go out and attempt to create a buzz and create a product and create, you know, some kind of finance coming in. That just wasn't realistic for us. So that, that I think... It's best for, for, at least in our situation, go to Film Freeway, find festivals that you like. Um, You can take a couple different approaches. You can find less popular festivals that you can win awards at. Or you can just go play with the big boys and and see what happens. I I mean, honestly, like, because you don't know. Like, I'm telling you, when you watch film festival films, trust me, they're not as up to snuff as you would be led to believe. They just aren't. I mean, there are some people that do really good work and there's some people that do really bad work. And, you know, it just is what it is. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like it's more encouraging, in fact, to actually try and go to some of these short festivals and see other people's works. I I feel like that it seems like it would be a more encouraging experience because it's like that. It's that old saying, if they can do it, so can I. No, it's like if you're a film professional and you're watching some of these short films and you're like, oh my God, like these things are doing well. I can't. Yeah. It's, it's a long conversation. <laughs> I don't want to demean other filmmakers, but yeah. I live in reality too. And, you know, speaking of reality, uh, I want to get into a little bit of a tougher question for you. Okay. And, and again, you know, you've told us a lot of great positive things. You told us about the process, you know, having the street smarts, the connections, the experience, working with people, kind of sifting through who you want to, you know, deal with and all that. And then, of course, the festival circuit. I want to ask you, of all this stuff doing this project, what would you say would be your biggest challenge, maybe the hardest reality that you've had to face? I, I definitely think the biggest reality for me, and I'm going to say 99% of people, is creating a revenue stream from your content. So at this point, because I've made a lot of projects and I work with very talented people who believe in what we're doing, we've managed to cut costs down tremendously. We've managed to get very efficient with all that stuff. Scheduling, we have very dedicated cast, all that stuff. That stuff has come, is hard. Don't get me wrong. That is hard. It just has come easy to us. The revenue stream is hard for us and it's hard for everybody. A little secret that they don't like to tell you about film and TV is a lot of it loses a ton of money Mm -hmm. and creating a way to get your money back is incredibly challenging. And also you're trying to keep up with, you know, current trends that that you can do. And one of the things we're doing is what we're learning is we are trading revenue right now for exposure. Okay. So if you go to like Amazon prime, for example, you have options, you can get a revenue stream or you can elect not to get a revenue stream. If you don't get a revenue stream, you get drastically improved in the algorithm. So when you're on Amazon, which is the highest valued company basically in the world, more people are seeing you. Wow. That's good to know. Yeah. In my brain, and, and I deal with incredibly talented people. Like I have a producer that is a rocket scientist that works with PhDs all day long. He's is lit like scientifically minded as they get. I have a DP who's an engineer. Like this is very advanced thinking people. And 
they sit around all day trying to figure out how is it we can make a revenue stream. And when we look at it, it seems impossible. But we have come up with an 11-part plan. We have solved steps one through six. Now we just have to solve steps seven through 11. Hey, it's halfway. That's great. <laughs> it, it is. It is. And, and that's so I would say that is definitely the biggest challenge. But if you talk about the physical process of the filmmaking, I just think it's finding a location that you will have free reign over because we shoot it. We shot at a friend's house and they were just awesome and so welcoming and allowed us to use so many aspects of their house but also, too, at the same time, that's my friend. And it, no matter how kind you are to me, I'm always going to be on my best behavior to try to make sure I'm doing nothing to damage your home, to disrespect your living space. I think there's a great deal of discomfort as, as a producer in that part of the process being like, oh, my gosh, like I want to make sure that I don't mess up a relationship with somebody. And, you know, that to me, I I think that amount of stress is probably the hardest part of the physical filmmaking part. Okay, thank you for that. Keeping along similar lines of questioning here, is there something unexpected during this process that you had to actually learn in the moment? I mean, you've given us your history. You've told us, you know, what you've done over time and the people you work with, obviously you met them and have gotten to know them because of experience. So during this specific project, was there something unexpected that you had to learn in the moment? Wow. Um, I can't think of anything immediately. Um, That's okay. And, and the reason I say that is, is not to be arrogant. I most certainly am not that. I think what happens is, is that I've done this a lot. And, you know, uh, I don't know if when you were younger, did, did you ever play a, a computer game called Command and Conquer? <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. You, you've played Risk, obviously, the board game and everything. So I sucked at it, but I did play it. <laughs> <laughs> I never won. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Castle Risk is a lot of fun, but it's just even more pain. So my mind works in, in that way. I am a very stra- strategically minded person. I foresee a lot of disasters that could come. And most of the time I'm prepared for those disasters. A lot of it is through your screenwriting. You don't want to do things in your script that are going to be stuff that you cannot do. You have to really know your limitations as Clint Eastwood used to say, you got to know your limitations. I mean, yeah, that makes perfect sense. It actually, it sounds like to me that you are aware of these things for this current project because you've had to learn from previous experiences. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> Which is good. I mean, it's, it, it isn't cocky of you to say that or arrogant to say that because it just shows that you've had this amount of time doing this kind of stuff and learning from these and it's only made you better. So if anything, I just want to encourage people that are listening to, to learn from these moments and let that make you better. Uh, you have to take the self-criticism, right? You have to learn to critique yourself and, and, and accept these things. Even if you don't like it, you still need to listen to it. Correct? Well, yeah. I mean, you, you know, you can't, I think it is it is an unwise decision to think you definitely need a degree of self-confidence to do this. Uh, you might even need a bit of cockiness depending on how you know your mind works. but you also have to you can't be either of those things without having skill sets. 
So develop those skill sets as much as you can. <laughs> there you go. And I, I guess kind of moving along those notes, would, uh, what would you say would be your most valuable takeaway from this current experience? Is it maybe learning the how to make a revenue stream? <laughs> Is that probably your most valuable takeaway? You, you know, I mean, I'm going to go with something that's like more of like a personal thing. Great. I think that a lot of us, the way that I, I've, I've always operated is... I'm not afraid to call in a favor for the right situation. And there's a difference between a favor and I'm paying you a rate to do this. You know, there, there is a difference between that. And we do pay people. You know, it's not like a lot of people just come up here and work for nothing. That's just not the case. But it's like I've learned this a lot, Jacob, but I always learn it in a different way every project. And that is don't be afraid to ask your friends to help you. I like that. You want to be selective about it and you you really need to know people's talents when you hire them. I, I do have multiple people that I know who do sound. Some of them are really good for certain projects. Some of them are not as good for other projects. Directors of photography the same way. Actors the same way. You really have to understand how to put the puzzle pieces in together. And this is like, you know, if you're a sports fan and you're an owner or a general manager of a team, you need to know what it is you have and you need to know how to organize it together. Yeah. Self-promote. Yeah. There's skill sets that, that I bring to the table, mostly in the communication department. I can communicate with people that are incredibly intelligent in terms of like analytics, and I can communicate with people that are street smart. It just, you really have to know what makes people understand things and you have to pay attention. But yeah, I, I would definitely say it's the same thing I learn every time. And that is don't be afraid to ask people to help, but the way that you can make sure that you're doing that in the best way possible is be prepared and make the effort. Don't just call them up out of the blue. Hey, I really need help with something like actually prepare something. And as a perfect example, I, the composer I work with is extremely talented he can work virtually anywhere he wants. He said to us that we are the best group of people he works with. And it's because of our preparedness and it's because of our understanding of the process. And Jacob, to be perfectly honest with you, you don't need to pay money to learn that from anybody. That is your own effort. So you put the effort in, people notice. You know, what's great is normally I ask uh, near the end, what is some great advice you can give to anyone who's wanting to go about doing this? And I feel like you answered two questions with one. So thank <laughs> you. That, that is a great, valuable, you know, takeaway for every project. And it's also great advice for anyone going out there to, to make these projects. And I, I think the key part that I love that you said is just remembering when you do this, that like they're your friend first. So make sure you remember the value of that friendship. And, and understand that you can have a, a work relationship or a friendship as well. Like, you know, tr like you said, treating their place with respect, all that stuff. So thank you for that, Darren. Yeah. So you, you actually answered my question about advice. Unless, is there any other advice that you would like to give for anyone out there trying to pursue an active filmmaking career, trying to, to do what we do independently, to do what you do independently? You know, there's, there's a, I don't really have anything specific that I can say, but I, I can say that there's a number of things that I can tell you that are definitely may or may not work for you. If anyone gives you the advice to do another career, that's not necessarily bad advice. I'm just saying it, it is hard <laughs> what you're going to do. It, it is challenging. It will daunt you in a lot of ways, you know, and if, if you have a hard time being rejected and you don't have a thick skin, you're going to struggle. And that's just the way it is. Now, 
Other pieces of advice that I think are, are very valuable. I remember talking to a, a producer. Uh, he's, he's produced massive blockbuster films. I'm talking X-Men, Star Trek, you know, massive films. And what frustrated me about this person, and I'm going to try to be better than this for your audience, is I, I asked, how did you get in, into this business? And they said, well, you know, I was working for a store and uh, it was just a department store and they needed someone to shoot a safety video and nobody wanted to do it. So they decided to shoot the safety video. I said, oh, that's interesting. So what happened next? Oh, well, I was producing this big movie. I said, okay, so nothing in between. Like, you're not going to give me literally anything in between that. It's just you shot a safety video. Now you're, you know, a huge producer. I hear that a lot too. It's like, come on. So the bit of advice I could give that would be the equivalent of that is just do it. Just do it. We come back to it. (laughs) When people say just do it, to me, that means something very different because I know all the things you need to do. So I'm going to try my hardest to explain what that actually means. So I think as a producer, it's very useful to know how to do a lot of things um, as much as you can. So number one, I'm going to even put the finger up for this one. Number one, know how to do a lot of things. One of which is, what can I as the producer do to make this project happen? Jacob, there's a lot of projects that never existed until I sat down and wrote a script. Because a script is a physical item that can make a project happen. So I think it would be very helpful to learn how to write. It makes you a better actor. It makes you a better director. It makes you a better producer. makes you everything. Books I would strongly recommend. I always recommend Save the Cat by Blake Snyder. It is a great book about structure and how you can learn what story structure is. In a film, uh, Making a Good Script Great by Dr. Linda Seger is a huge book when it comes to the little details that makes your script unique and amazing. And then Story by uh, John Truby, I, I think is an, also an excellent book uh, that uh, all of the folks that you know write for Pixar basically use that book. And I would definitely, and it was recommended to me by Brian Callen. So I, I would strongly recommend that book. It, it's, it's very good. That's awesome. Um, that's number one. No, learn how to do all those things. So two... I would strongly recommend you secure a location first before you start <laughs> writing a script. Or it'll help. <laughs> it's 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 not the way it's meant to be done. It is not the way it's meant to be done. Trust me when I tell you this. But for example, dying for a living, all I needed was an indoor space, and I could make it happen. Didn't matter what the space was. Our our location worked perfect for it. But it but it could have been. It was originally a warehouse, moved to a bar restaurant. Same result. So I, I would definitely find a location that you know you can shoot in and write a story around it. And then third, understand what it is that you can do great that costs you nothing and what you can do great that costs you something. I like that. Your creativity should never be limited. The quality of your actor, for the most part, should never be limited. The creativity of how you, you do shots, uh, dialogue, all that stuff is free. You don't need to pay for any of that, you know, but you do need to pay if you want to blow things up. Okay. <laughs> so try to avoid doing that. So th- those are, I think those are, the, I could go on forever, but I think those are three things that if you do those three things, you, you will definitely be in the process of making a film. They're very sound advice. No, I love that. Thank you so much. And Darren, I have one last question for you. And that is, what's your drive, man? What motivates you and pushes you to constantly do all this? I mean, you've kind of given us the whole rundown and and told us your experience, but what drives you? You know, 
someone told me one time, and I'll answer your question, but someone told me one time that there are two types of people in this industry, producers and consumers, and you cannot be both. I disagree. Me too. <laughs> I just do. I flat Me out too. disagree. If I didn't enjoy watching movies or creating movies, I don't know why, you know, I don't know how I could make them. Exactly. So I like to tell stories. Something like Dying for a Living is pretty relevant, in my opinion, because there are people, especially in the last two years, and I think it's it's been an ill in society for a long time, that really feel like they have no purpose in this world. And Dying for a Living is a story that really confronts that. Like, what is your purpose? Do you have purpose? You know, I mean, th- these are like really deep questions that we liked, that we wanted to ask. And I think that this is a problem that causes so many ills in our society. And I really wanted to tell a story that I think could positively affect people to rediscovering who they are. And overall, and this is the answer to your question that you asked, I like people to enjoy what they're watching. I I like them to think to some degree, but I also don't like to preach to people. I have my own personal opinions about things. I have political opinions. I have sports opinions. I have philosophical opinions. Those things should not be coming out in my art. They just shouldn't. It should just be what it is. And and I, I believe that what really makes me do this are there people that, that have told me to quit? Well, years ago, yes. It, it happens way less now. <laughs> but I just, I really, I really like the feeling of telling someone a story and hoping they get some kind of gratification out of it. Some of our material has been deemed a little offensive. I mean, I, I don't know, like, I mean, people will cite examples and stuff. I, I don't think it's intentionally defense it's not offensive in the way like blazing saddles is offensive yeah not no. blatantly in your face we didn't we weren't going for that yeah no we have characters that use language that is offensive language I, I i get all that but i'm not so concerned about that i don't really mind offending you in fact sometimes i like to <laughs> but i really care whether or not i'm inspiring you or not for one reason or another that means way more to me so I'm just, I'm a very positive person, generally speaking, not foolishly positive, but positive. And I think what drives me is, is that I just, I want people to be entertained because I think art is important for that too. Um, and to pretend that I didn't come up watching films and television and performing and stuff. I mean, I enjoy that stuff too. So it's like, it sounds like you would be denying who you are. <laughs> no, it's like, I'm not going to watch Spider-Man and be like, Oh, look at that lighting job over there. I don't care. <laughs> Spider-Man. <laughs> if one philosophy and any of your audience who wants to watch any of our content that we do, I care about two things. <laughs> are you engaged is, is the most important thing to me. And in that engagement process, are you absorbing what we're trying to say? That's all I care about. I really don't like all the other stuff. I don't really care about. And I, I would hope that more filmmakers would do the same because if you're not engaged with what I'm doing, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. Fair enough. Well, Darren, thank you so much for coming on today and talking to us about your short film, Dying for Living, which is uh, in the short circuit right now out there. Uh, Please feel free to plug yourself, promote the crap 
out of this movie right now, sir. Put it out there. Where can people go and see this? Uh, if anyone wants to reach out to you, do you or you know follow this this film? Any social media? Let us have it. Okay. Um, if you would like to see the film, I would most recommend dyingforalivingmovie.com. You can click on the film. It's right there on Facebook Watch for you to, to see. Add to those million views, folks. <laughs> we have done so well. We actually have done two days of filming already for the next installment of Dying for a Living. Nice. So the story will continue. We do have a Dying for a Living movie page on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, if you wish to go through there as well. Uh, I would recommend a couple pieces of, uh, or actually one particular piece of work. It's called uh, a web series that I wrote and starred in. It's called Lone Wolf McCray, M-C-C-R-A-Y. If you're really big fans of uh, 80s style action films. This guy right here. <laughs> and, you, and you like to laugh. I strongly recommend you check out our seven episode series, Lone Wolf McCray. I can vouch. It is a funny, funny show. Check it oh, out. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. It's very nice of you. That's why I brought you on. I don't care about dying for a living. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's basically enough. I, I think if you, if you see both of those pieces, I, I think that, you can judge for yourself whether or not you enjoy what it is we do. And uh, I'm totally fine with, with I, I think that those two projects are the ones that, that define us. Well, I think Dying for a Living is a better overall product because we always improve as we make more things. But I am Fantastic. very proud of everything that I have made. So As you should be. Well, Darren, thank you so much. And, you know, I just want to say, please go out there and check out Dying for a Living Movie on Facebook Watch. Follow them on Instagram and Twitter. And please uh, show your support for these independent artists. I hope today you guys found inspiration. And Darren, is there anything else you'd like to say before we leave? Oh, no. I just uh, thank you so much for everyone for tuning in. Jacob, thank you for having me. And uh, I look forward to uh, uh, hearing any remarks you may have. And... You know, and like I said, I'm just grateful that you're all uh, giving us an opportunity and a platform to be heard. Thank you. And I'm still trying to make this a, a good platform for everyone. So it's still a learning experience for myself. But yeah, thank you again, Darren. I appreciate you taking the time. And I hope that the listeners out there, especially any young filmmakers, any old filmmakers like myself, anyone who's just trying to give this a go, I hope you found today's conversation with Darren inspirational and helpful. So again, until then, stay golden. Thanks for tuning in to IPA Sessions. To help support this podcast, please rate and review and click that subscribe button to follow for new bi-weekly episodes. And if you're an independent artist out there looking to promote your work or yourself, please reach out to me via social media at IPA Sessions on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can also reach out to me via email at IPA Sessions Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and I hope you felt inspired.